1986, the FAA Division Chief of the Accidents and Investigations Branch in Washington, D.C., was named John Callahan. He sat in a conference room, anxiously flipping through documents. Words like mothership and UFO were scrawled all over his notepad. Eventually, Callahan's boss stepped into the room, trailed by a parade of upper-level government officials. All the heavy hitters were there. FBI, CIA, high-ranking members of President Reagan's administration, and a couple of mystery guests Callahan couldn't place. He laid out his findings. A respected pilot had spotted unidentified flying objects during a routine flight. Callahan had no reason to doubt his testimony. The pilot had a sterling reputation and over 10,000 hours in the cockpit. Even data from the Air Force's radars seemed to verify something was in the sky with him. All the evidence led Callahan to an undeniable conclusion. Japan Airlines Cargo Flight 1628 encountered multiple UFOs while flying over the Alaska Triangle. After the presentation, one CIA agent told Callahan, this never took place. We never had this meeting and this was never recorded. The officials confiscated all of his materials and promptly shuffled out of the room. But he'd made copies of everything. And thanks to Callahan's quick thinking, we have records of one of the most well-documented UFO sightings in history. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from ParCast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. This is our final episode about the Alaska Triangle, one of the most rugged and baffling regions in the United States. Last time, we heard about the numerous unsolved disappearances in the area. Some tried to explain the doomed people in planes, pointing to time travel and strange weather patterns. Today, we'll explore the other unexplained phenomena in the skies above Alaska, UFOs. Then we'll discuss the mythical creatures that might be behind some missing persons cases. Finally, we'll get to the bottom of what's really going on in the Alaska Triangle. It turns out the truth might be stranger than fiction. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. 
The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Are you looking for a view of the world that's a bit different? Hi, I'm Jason Palmer, a host of The Weekend Intelligence, a podcast from The Economist. Join us to hear the stories that matter most to our correspondents and editors. Every Saturday, we introduce you to people and ideas that take you outside the ordinary and expand your horizons one episode at a time. Join us and see the world from a new perspective. To listen free until May 31st, search Spotify for The Weekend Intelligence. Since 2016, nearly 42% of air fatalities involving small aircraft in the United States have been in Alaska, an unusually high number. On average, the U.S. has around 44 air, taxi, and commuter plane crashes a year. Alaska alone averages about 26. Many of these disasters happen in the Alaska Triangle. One of the most famous cases is the C-124 Globemaster, a huge cargo plane that carried everything from troops to tanks. In 1952, the Globemaster had 52 servicemen on board who were headed toward Elmendorf Air Force Base, just outside of Anchorage. One second, the plane was on the radar, then poof, it was gone. The military launched a search, but they were unable to recover the downed plane. For over half a century, curious minds have tried to explain what happened to the Globemaster and other craft like it. Theories ranged from wormholes to electromagnetic vortices, but others pointed to more paranormal explanations. Around World War II, sailors reported seeing strange plane-like objects hovering above their ships in the Bering Sea, the body of water between Russia and Alaska. Over the next few years, these sightings became even more common, especially for military service people. In one case, a Navy pilot was flying over Kodiak Island when he noticed something unusual approaching him from behind. He radioed ground control. His plane should have been the only one in the area. But their radar told a different story. It showed an unidentified craft zipping along at 1,800 miles per hour. That's more than twice the speed of sound and far beyond the capabilities of any man-made craft in 1950. Even today, there are only a handful of jets that can fly so quickly. Before the pilot could react, his equipment went on the fritz, making it nearly impossible to navigate. He did his best to lose the pursuing craft, but it stayed with him, mimicking his every move. Just as ground control debated what to do next, the strange ship disappeared from their screen. The pilot looked around, but he couldn't see it anymore. It seemed like they were in the clear. But two hours later, the object came back. It soared around for a bit longer, then vanished. This time, for good. This happened just four days before a Douglas C-54 Skymaster went missing. 
We discussed that disappearance last time. When the Skymaster vanished in 1950, some wondered if UFOs were involved. A rash of sightings were reported over the course of the next year, only fanning the flames. Just two days after the Skymaster disappeared, a lieutenant colonel was standing outside the Elmendorf Air Base in Anchorage when he noticed three orange orbs dancing above him. They hovered in place for a few moments, then shot away. Oddly enough, this was the same base where the Skymaster began its journey and the intended destination of the Globemaster we mentioned earlier. The reports of the sighting at Elmendorf and records of many other sightings were redacted and buried. But in recent years, they made their way into the spotlight. In 2021, thousands of similar documents were declassified by the CIA and shared online for the first time. Others were uncovered by people like Dan Willis, a former Navy code operator who had his own UFO encounter. And still more only became public knowledge thanks to brave whistleblowers. Take this incident from November 1986, which we only know about because a government employee released the story to the public. According to the FAA's John Callahan, Captain Kenju Terauchi was flying Japan Airlines cargo jet 1628 through the Alaska Triangle. Terauchi was a former fighter pilot with over 10,000 hours of flight time. He'd just flown from Paris with one stop already completed in Reykjavik and was headed to Tokyo. It was a fairly uneventful run until ground control contacted him that afternoon. They asked Captain Terauchi to adjust his flight path and go south of Fort Yukon and Fairbanks. As he was making the requested 15-degree turn, the captain noticed two bright objects on his tail, about 2,000 feet below and behind him. Terauchi assumed they were fighter jets on a routine run. He took note and kept flying. But the light stayed with him. After a while, his trip started feeling less and less routine. Captain Terauchi radioed ground control and asked if there were any military aircraft nearby. Ground control double-checked with Elmendorf, but neither one showed anything in the area. As far as they could tell, Flight 1628 was the only plane in the sky. But Captain Terauchi knew that wasn't the case. If these weren't military craft, what were they? Coming up, Captain Terauchi has a very close encounter. Now back to the story. In November 1986, Captain Kenju Terauchi was locked in a high-speed chase with two unidentified objects. They'd been following him for miles when they suddenly darted in front of his plane. The maneuver defied space and time and demonstrated capabilities well beyond any earthly craft. Terauchi tried to wrap his head around how these strange ships leaped in front of him. But he couldn't even get a good look at them, let alone figure out how they worked. All he could see were blinding lights, and he felt the heat of their thrusters. 
When his eyes finally adjusted to the light, his suspicions were confirmed. The ships in front of him were definitely from another planet. According to Captain Terauchi, they were approximately 150 feet long, about the length of a mid-sized passenger jet, but they didn't have wings or a fuselage like an airplane. Instead, they had a dark square center surrounded by stacked rows of lights. The UFOs matched his speed perfectly before sending bursts of light skyward. Then, in the blink of an eye, they were gone. And as soon as they vanished, something much bigger appeared behind him. The mothership. Captain Terauchi described it as a giant walnut shell, roughly the size of an aircraft carrier, about eight to ten times bigger than his own plane. This time, the craft did show up on ground control and Elmendorf Air Base's radars. Thinking fast, ground control asked Captain Terauchi to try to lose the ship. Not an easy feat in his massive 747. Still, the captain executed a long, banking 360-degree turn. The mothership stayed with him every step of the way. Ground control was getting nervous. They offered to send fighter jets to Captain Terauchi. But by this point, the plane was over Fairbanks. A potential firefight above a populated area didn't sound like a great idea to the captain. Searching for other options, ground control asked a nearby United commercial flight to alter their path. That way, at least they'd get another set of eyes on the object. Just as the United plane approached Captain Terauchi's vessel, the mothership vanished, both from the radar and the pilot's sight. After more than 40 tense minutes, he was in the clear. But according to FAA Division Chief of the Accidents and Investigations Branch in Washington, John Callahan, that wasn't the end of the mothership. Allegedly, he claimed the Air Force radar picked up the mothership again, this time trailing the United flight, unbeknownst to the pilot. Captain Terauchi was asked to land in Anchorage. Even after he touched down safely on the ground, he was noticeably shaken. The FAA security manager who debriefed him and his two crew members noted that the pilot and crew were sweating profusely and visibly horrified. Nevertheless, Terauchi gave a detailed summary of the events and drew sketches of the craft. Sadly, honesty wasn't the best policy for Captain Terauchi. According to the weekly newspaper Anchorage Press, a few months after the pilot gave his statement, his employer claimed he embarrassed them with talks of UFOs. His punishment? Grounding at a desk job. It was years before he was allowed to fly again. If this was an attempt to keep the incident quiet, it didn't work. We opened this episode with an account from John Callahan, FAA Division Chief of the Accidents and Investigations Branch in Washington, D.C. When he heard about Terauchi's encounter, he realized the public needed to know what had happened. Even though the CIA warned him not to share the information with anyone, in 2001, Callahan released his evidence. 
If it weren't for Callahan's willingness to go public and his foresight in making copies of the documents, Terauchi's report might still be a secret. And who knows what other alien encounters were successfully covered up. For whatever reason, Alaska is a hotbed of UFO activity. It frequently pops up as one of the most visited states in the Union. And over 6,500 encounters have happened in the Alaska Triangle, both in the skies and down on the ground. Ideals UFO Magazine's December 1978 edition describes one incident. It was during a camping trip former Coast Guard navigation instructor Jack Friedman took with some friends in the Alaska Triangle. One morning, Jack woke up before sunrise. With the rest of the camp still asleep, he freshened up in a nearby stream. While he was up and about, he saw something strange in the valley down below. More than a dozen circular aircraft hovering in place. They were each 20 to 30 feet wide and all glowed orange. According to Jack, he could only describe them as UFOs. He woke the others and the group agreed to take a closer look. They trekked down the side of the ridge, but when they arrived in the wooded valley below, the craft had somehow disappeared. But there was no doubt they'd been there. There was a large swath of downed brush and small trees, all in a giant circular pattern. A sticky spiderweb-like residue clung to the edges. Strange black rocks, allegedly covered in indecipherable markings, were strewn all through the grass. And littering the outside of the circle were a whole bunch of mutilated animal carcasses. Bears, caribou, moose that were missing their legs and antlers. And lying off to the side? What appeared to be the rotting remains of a 15-foot-long orca. Although they were hundreds of miles from the ocean, Jack was staring at a dead killer whale. Even weirder, he didn't see a drop of blood anywhere. The campers took some of the bones and about a dozen of the odd black stones. They went back to Anchorage and tried to tell anyone who would listen about their experience. But no one seemed to take them seriously. At least, not until they were crossing the border back into Canada. At a checkpoint, a man stopped them. He didn't seem to be affiliated with any specific government agency, but he had questions about their encounter. According to Jack, the man told them their story was ridiculous and said they'd be wise not to tell anyone about it, all while taking copious notes. The camper who'd packed the black stones into his suitcase was a geology doctorate student. He knew some professors at Columbia who might be able to help him identify the peculiar rocks. But somewhere along his journey from the Pacific coast to New York City, they were stolen from his bag. We can't say for sure if the theft had anything to do with the cover-up. Perhaps it was an opportunistic, unscrupulous individual who thought the stones could be valuable. Or the thief may have been something that's not human or alien. Some legends suggest the Alaska Triangle is home to other mythical creatures. 
The Tlingit people have called the southeastern coast of Alaska home for hundreds, if not thousands, of years. Some of this land falls inside the triangle. According to Tlingit legend, there's a creature in the region called the Kushtaka, which travels between the spiritual and physical worlds. Kushtaka roughly translates to land otter man, which is fitting. The monster is said to resemble both an otter and a human, but it's hard to get into specifics because it's a shapeshifter. They say the Kushtaka lurks in the woods waiting for lonesome travelers to come along. When it spots its prey, the creature shapeshifts so it looks like a relative or an injured child and calls out for help. Naturally, the passerby will race toward the seemingly injured loved one. Once the traveler gets far enough away from the main trail, the Kushtaka attacks. In some stories, the legendary beast rips the victim to pieces and devours every last bit. Or if the Kushtaka is feeling generous, they might spare the traveler and turn them into a Kushtaka. Arguably, the first option is better because the victim's soul can survive. The Tlingit people believe when a person dies, they're reincarnated. But the otter creatures can't be reborn after their demise. Becoming a Kushtika is a fate worse than death. Recently, a hiker claimed one of these beasts ordered a murder of crows to attack her. According to her, she barely escaped with her life. But local legend says Kushtikas aren't the only mystical creatures we need to worry about. The hairy man is similar in size and shape. It's eight to ten feet tall, with broad shoulders and a narrow waist. And as its name suggests, it's completely covered in hair. While reports of the hairy man have come from all over the Alaska Triangle, it's most often seen in Port Chatham on the Kenai Peninsula at the southern edge of the Triangle. In the early 20th century, European settlers arrived in the region. It was pristine, with plenty of salmon in the water and raw materials on the land. It was odd that such a resource-rich place seemed to have no permanent indigenous settlements. But the colonists didn't wonder about this for too long. They simply counted themselves lucky. Perhaps they'd have no competition for the wondrous riches. They got to work setting up a fishing village called Port Chatham. For a while, everything seemed great. There was a pool hall, a school, and a post office. They even began to dig for chromite at a nearby mine. But in the 1920s, things took a dark turn. Hunters would walk into the woods and never come out. Severed limbs started to wash ashore. Fishermen described a beast that lurked in the woods, the hairy man. Allegedly, the cannery staff announced they refused to come to work unless armed guards were stationed at the edge of the woods. By 1950, the people of Port Chatham had had enough. The town was permanently abandoned. But that's not the end of this story. Reports of the hairy man still swirl throughout the Alaska Triangle. They're usually spotted near water, but not always. There is one surefire way to know 
if you've entered Hairy Man territory. Giant trees ripped from the ground and replanted upside down. Just recently, Tlingit elder Al Jackson took a camera crew to one such location. There were no signs of modern machinery, but there were a number of bare trees that had been uprooted and replanted. Their leaves were in the dirt, and roots stretched toward the sky. We don't know for sure if this was the work of a hairy man, but whether the Alaska Triangle is home to it or the Kushtaka, or some other creature entirely, one thing is certain. Some monsters are all too real. Coming up, what's really going on in the Alaska Triangle? Now, back to the story. Glaciers often look firm and flat, like they're a solid block of dense snow. But that seemingly safe top layer can hide enormous fissures and crevasses, sometimes large enough to swallow entire office buildings. Currently, there are around 27,000 glaciers covering the state of Alaska. It's possible at least some of the 16,000 people who've gone missing there since 1988 stepped out onto the snow thinking they were walking on solid ground. Only to fall through the ice into an inescapable crevasse. With the unpredictable weather, a fresh layer of snow could move in and bury the traveler completely. In 2017, a ski company maintenance crew was working in the Swiss Alps when they discovered a foot sticking out of the San Florent Glacier. There were two bodies buried below. DNA testing revealed that they were a couple that had gone missing in 1942. In the Italian Alps, a melting glacier revealed bodies of soldiers who never came home from World War I, along with love letters and war relics. Across the Atlantic in the Andes Mountains, one of South America's greatest mysteries was solved toward the end of the 20th century when two rock climbers came upon the remains of a 1947 plane crash. It turned out the craft had flown into a vertical glacier and triggered an avalanche that immediately covered up the wreckage. And recently, it became clear that a nearly identical scenario played out with the C-124 Globemaster. While on a training exercise in 2012, a National Guard helicopter pilot spotted the wreckage near Mount Gannett. The plane had crashed into a glacier and was quickly covered up by snow. Alongside the debris were the bodies of 17 of the 52 servicemen on board. Shifting glaciers aren't the only environmental factor that can account for the disappearances. There are also wild animals. In 2013, a pack of hungry wolves left the Alaska Panhandle in search of food. They dog-paddled across open water to Pleasant Island. It was virtually uninhabited by humans, but there were plenty of deer. In just a couple of years, the wolves decimated the local deer population, nearly eradicating them from the island. Without a major food source, researchers expected the wolves to die off or move on. Instead, they did something completely unexpected. 
They turned to the ocean and started eating sea otters, an animal that wasn't known to be a major part of their diet. And they didn't stop with otters. In early 2010, teacher Candace Berner was out for a jog near Chignik Lake, Alaska, when she realized she wasn't running alone. There were at least two wolves on her tail. Before she had time to react, the animals pounced and mauled her to death. Wolf attacks are rare, but there's always the risk that they could become more frequent, especially in light of the otter story. As people encroach further into wolf territory and their traditional hunting grounds disappear, these wild animals may become more aggressive to keep their bellies full. In 2021, a hunter wandered through an abandoned mining camp deep in the wilderness, 40 miles from the nearest town. Cell service was non-existent. While standing outside the doorless shack he'd been using as a shelter, the hunter was blindsided by a grizzly bear. The animal attacked the man and dragged him down to a nearby river. According to the hunter, the bear tried to kill him, but he managed to get his hand free and fire his pistol. It stunned the grizzly just long enough for him to flee back to the cabin, with the animal in hot pursuit. The man would occasionally fire off rounds to scare the bear away, but the grizzly kept coming back, looking for a fresh meal. After a couple of days, the hunter gave up on sleep entirely. After a week, he was delirious and down to two bullets. Luckily for him, a Coast Guard helicopter flew overhead a short while later. The co-pilot saw SOS and Help Me scratched into the cabin's roof. The beaten and bruised man stood outside, frantically waving both hands. He was rescued, but not all Alaska residents are so lucky. In January 2023, a huge storm rolled into the tiny village of Wales on the far western tip of Alaska. It blanketed the region in snow and reduced visibility to almost zero. A mother was visiting family at the local schoolhouse with her one-year-old. However, she needed to get the baby to the health clinic next door, and it didn't seem like the weather would let up anytime soon. With no other options, she trudged outside. It was only 150 yards, but the extreme conditions made it impossible for her to see anything, especially a creature that was all white. She'd walked directly into the path of an angry polar bear. Tragically, the bear fatally mauled the mother and baby. Inside the schoolhouse, the teachers closed the shades to keep the children from seeing. A couple of faculty members grabbed snow shovels and rushed outside, hoping to scare the giant animal away before it could hurt anyone else. Instead, they only drew the animal's attention. They managed to dive back into the building at the very last second, slamming the door in the bear's face. Unlike wolves, polar bears do see humans as prey. But for most of history, it was rare for people to encounter them. Polar bears spend much of their lives on sea ice at the edge of the ocean. But as the earth warms and ice sheets melt, they often move farther inland. 
summer Arctic sea ice has been retreating at a rate of 12.6% per decade. Experts say by 2050, it might be gone completely, which means more polar bears coming inland and more encounters with people. This in turn could mean more deaths. And if investigators don't find enough evidence to piece together what happened, more unexplained disappearances. Perhaps this is the answer to the mysteries of the Alaska Triangle. Climate change is making predators more aggressive. Unprecedented animal attacks and hidden chambers beneath glaciers can feel apocalyptic. But this is an apocalypse born out of science, not magic or mysticism. We don't need strange pyramids underground or creatures like the Hairy Man, Kushtikas, or aliens to explain the Alaska Triangle's many disappearances. But we can't entirely discount them either. For centuries, the region's snow and ice have swallowed unwary travelers and answers alike. Only time will tell if the Triangle will ever reveal its secrets. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back next Tuesday with a new episode. For more information on the Alaska Triangle, amongst the many sources we used, we found the Travel Channel series, The Alaska Triangle, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, Never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. Our head of programming is Julian Boireau. Our supervising sound designer is Russell Nash, with Nick Johnson as our head of production and Spencer Howard as our post-production supervisor. Quality control by Lisa Marie Gallegos. Ali Wicker is our supervising editor and Derek Jennings is our writing lead. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Jesse Harris, edited by Natalie Pritsovsky and Angela Jorgensen, fact-checked by Bennett Logan, researched by Chelsea Wood, produced by Bruce Kotovich, and sound designed by Michael Motion. Our hosts are Molly Brandenburg and me, Richard Rossner. <laughs> <laughs>